0: Uh, We're going to help you through this no football weekend. Uh, We have the return of the empire coming up. So we got a meal and we've got, of course, uh, Kyle Ledbetter with us. So we're going to do a little round table here, guys. Uh, And I'm asking you, and I know Jay and I talked about this earlier, with no football to watch on TV, can you give us, and our, um, our smartest listeners in radio, a player's YouTube highlights that you're saying, hey, Maybe you've seen this guy. Maybe you haven't. You have to watch. If you're missing football, you got to watch this. And I will start with one, if I may, just to get the ball rolling here. And Forty er fans know this, but Ronnie Lott. If you're yeah. missing football, yeah. go check out Ronnie Lott's YouTube video. Now, I was watching highlights today, Jay. Yes, and if you know, it's, they show him interception, interception, interception. And to be honest, I was a little disappointed because, like, that's great, but – you know what ronnie used to do hit you coming across the middle baby boom boom. and back then of course you know now we oh that's so it's dangerous which it is but back then that's what what he's supposed to do yeah he's very good at it so i would say ronnie lott all
1: right my first one uh i'm going with and he has a documentary that's kind of be jumped around right now i believe it's on amazon but it doesn't do it justice man you have to go see Barry Sanders. Yeah, man. Barry okay. Sanders yeah, man. is the type of cat. If you haven't seen Barry Sanders, yeah, man. do yourself justice. Do yourself a favor this week. Go watch a Barry Sanders YouTube highlight. I mean, just,
0: it's follies. And it's not him. It's people trying to tackle him. He yeah. defied the laws of gravity. Yes. I remember watching a playoff game, a Lions in a playoff game, yeah, believe it or not. Well, that, you know, yeah.
2: young folks <laughs> like Kyle, that's a thing. I know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, uh. I remember watching, and I remember he was down. And I looked down because I was doing something. I looked up, I was like, he's still going. I saw him get tackled. He defied the laws of gravity. Yeah, man, I remember, look, the cat is still running.
2: <laughs> I'll never forget that. So
0: that's a great one, Kyle Ledbetter. That's me. You're up.
2: Okay, so I am a a and please, child. No here punters,
0: so. okay. No punters allowed.
2: Oh, I'm am s- so disappointed here. I wanted to watch some Marquette King highlights. Yeah, absolutely. wow, dude. what a shout! Remember, remember that time? Has a good call. Yeah. Remember when he picked up the flag and then threw it down while he was dancing? It was great. Yeah. Um. So when I was a kid in San Diego, uh, I grew up rooting for the Chargers. I don't do that anymore, but I saw during this year's Hall of Fame enshrinement that people were upset that Antonio Gates didn't get in on the first ballot. Mm-hmm. So, if you want to know why Antonio Gates should have been in on the first ballot, go watch Philip Rivers to Antonio Gates. Yeah, man. I agree. If, if from, and you'll get some Ladanian Tomlinson in there, too. Trust of me. That, that's always entertaining, just like Barry Sanders. Mm-hmm. But Philip Rivers to Antonio Gates was amazing. They used to have the record for most touchdowns of any receiver to quarterback combination. They are absolutely fantastic and fun to watch. They played on some teams that scored a lot of points, but gave up a lot of points. Yeah, man. So... Antonio Gates is the person you should go watch and you'll get, you know, some Philip Rivers, Ladanian Tomlinson in there as well. He
0: was one of those hybrid tight end receiver types. Right? Yeah. Absolutely. That's so yeah. common now.
2: Yeah, yeah. He, he was ahead of his time. And I know he yeah, played man. at the same time as Tony Gonzalez, but th- those two were yeah, kind we, of the embodiment I mean, of that. They were
0: just special. Then, Emil Fragoso. Thank that's you. Me. That's a great one, That's Kyle. me. Yeah. Well, Kyle
1: mentioned one that didn't make the Hall of Fame. I mentioned a player who did make the Hall of Fame. One near and dear, not only in my heart, but to all 49ers faithful in the world, how it Mister 52 himself, Patrick Willis. Yeah. yeah. Man, Patrick Willis, when he played football, talking about guys take head off of people that man would hit you so hard you get knocked in next tuesday patrick uh-huh. willis was a special special player and not only that played seven eight seasons i believe and was pretty much an all-pro in every single season if not for a career-ending injuries uh, at the age of 30 years old patrick willis would have been in the hall of fame a long yeah. time ago finally got his flowers this year well deserved 935 career tackles patrick willis
0: great one those are great ones that was probably the only question mark on his hall of fame resume was he didn't play that many seasons but when he did look if
1: TD got in if Gail Sayers got in guys
0: like that he deserved to get in and it's why Luke Keekly will get in this
1: year as well
2: yeah
0: Yeah, that's a great point Uh, last
1: edition of Return of the Empire all season live edition we'll we'll, we'll, we'll do some throughout the off season but live yes I didn't name the show Ah, let's
0: go baby time for the return of the empire podcast one hour of all things red and gold return of the empire here are your hosts sat down sports 49ers insider emil fragoso and nate littlefield
1: Sir, Milford Goso, Kyle better. no Nate Littlefield today. Um, this is not a happy last live show of Return of the Empire, unfortunately. Why? Did something happen? Kyle, you know what happens. Yeah, We're going to start this early. It's, it's Again, Return of the Empire, Milford Goso, usually Nate Nate Littlefield will be here. Nate Littlefield is having a well-deserved off day. Congrats to Nate on that. Kyle, we're holding it down today. Uh, And Kyle actually has some good perspective here because he is, I hate to say it, a Chiefs fan. I don't like that A what? A Chiefs fan?
2: Fan of the three-time Super Bowl champion, Kansas City. See,
1: why'd you got to do that and say that? It was rough. It was rough watching that. I'm going to be honest. It was rough watching that happen in Raiders Stadium and Allegiant Stadium. Not a fan of the Chiefs, as a lot of you know me growing up a Raiders fan, especially now that I cover the Niners. I do want to see the Niners win. Um looking at the chat. Yes, Jess is here. No bubbles. Uh AJ here. Um Ernie here. Everybody here. Megadeth here. We appreciate you. I love
2: that all the regulars yeah. have showed up for our last live show. Thank you, everyone who was here.
1: First time or through the rest of the season. We have appreciated every single person. We will be back next season, uh, hopefully talking about a happier ending to this show. Yeah, Niners lose Super Bowl 25-22 to the Kansas City Chiefs. The Chiefs Three Super Bowls in six years, Patrick Holmes third. Really starting to have that arc. That, that, I'm not going to say it, but there he's, there's a couple comparisons. He's starting to get on that trajectory.
2: There's a few comparisons we can talk about here today as well, especially on the Niners' side too. Uh, I know Kyle Shanahan's the person who's kind of dominated the topic of conversation here, and for good reason, because this is now the third Super Bowl that he has blown a double-digit lead in the last seven years, which is genuinely impressive. Like beyond yeah. the losing all the games like just making it to three super Bowls in seven years and i know one of them was as a coordinator but just making three super Bowls in seven years is impressive
1: yeah no it, it, it's it's Kyle himself Shanahan, I should say, is very impressive. His resume, what he has done, and I kind of saw a common comparison of is he just '04 Andy Reid because Andy Reid struggled to to get over the hump too initially. And did you got did one. you see
2: that from uh, from my Twitter perhaps that uh, was I it, was making that joke? It was so, it from
1: your Twitter or it was from, I think three three Team FB is what I saw it from so, on Twitter.
2: So uh, this went a little bit viral on my Instagram if you guys want to check it out. But basically, yeah, him and '05 Andy Reid are very similar. Both of them made four NFC Championship games in six seasons. Uh, They both get made fun of for poor clock management. Both of them lost their first NFC Championship game against the Rams. Fun little note. And both teams lost the Super Bowl by three points, giving the team regarded to as a dynasty their third championship. When Andy Reid's Eagles lost to the Patriots, Tom Brady and Bill Belichick's third championship. This year, Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid's third championship.
1: Yep. And that's what we're sitting at now, unfortunately, for Niner fans. And this is not a happy end of the show because I was there. I'm going to be honest with you guys. Even as an unbiased journalist, as someone who covers the team day in, day out, did not grow up being a fan, it sucked. It, it, it stunk that they lost this game to the Chiefs because not only were they playing as the better team for the majority of it, they had it. They were so close. Fourth quarter, they had it. Overtime, they got the ball first. All they had to do was go down score the court touchdown. But yet again, it's the it's question of can Kyle Shanahan win the big one? And when I mean the big one, I mean the big game. And when I
2: mean the big game, I mean the Super Bowl ring. Okay, so I want to do some like actual game analysis of this with you because you were there and because you have that perspective. But just 15 seconds, we're going to say Jake Moody, and then we're not going to touch it again, okay? <laughs> okay. For 15 seconds. The fact that all season the question was, can he make the 50-plus yard field goals? I know. And then he makes two in the Super Bowl, two of the four longest kicks in the history of the game. But hits every extra point in the regular season, and then only in the Super Bowl does the extra point get blocked, not once, but twice on the same field goal. Two different people blocked that kick, and and you were at the game, obviously, but Romo made a great analysis that was basically like, I think it was Jay Feely also, who they have like the kicking expert, but he's basically like, that one's on Moody. Moody kicked it low. Moody, you know, left it out there for the people to get. It wasn't a high snap or anything like that, you know. That they, they were pretty clear about that one, and it's just ironic. He made every kick all the way through the season, except the last one.
1: I don't love giving the blame to Jake Moody on that on that block, though, because it's the, it's the O-line's job to block it, to not let them get their hands up.
2: Yes, but it, the, the argument was just that it was a low kick. Anyways, we said 15 seconds on Moody. We're good. Let's move Jake on. Jake
1: Moody did his job. You know what didn't do their job? Kyle Shanahan's offense. Because every single time, especially early on in the game, the Niners' defense was full-throttle All breaks, no gas, start this game. They were on fire, forcing the Chiefs punt, punt, fumble, punt. That's the first poor possession for the Chiefs in the two quarters. Punt, punt, fumble, punt.
2: Kansas City's offense had been based on precision all season long. And the thing that I said when we did the the pre-pre-game show two weeks ago is Mm -hmm. the Niners are going to dominate time of possession in this game. That is just a fact that is going to happen. Kansas City got the big play mm-hmm. in the first half with Nicole Hardman.
1: Which shouldn't have happened anyway because it was a bad ball.
2: Yeah, and Gibson turned his head the wrong Completely way. Completely missed it. And they got zero points out of it. Yeah. Like the, the one thing that is a problem is they were going to, they controlled time of possession. They dominated time of possession. They gave up the one big play, just like in the Super Bowl four years ago, and Kansas City got no points out of it. Couldn't have asked for better stop at the beginning of the game Kansas yep. City was frustrated yep. Kelsey was pushing his coach oh yeah they had him on the ropes and had you were him. spot on with the defense
1: had him the defense was on fire the, the problem was is that the offense came out and we're good the first drive going five plays 48 yards but then Christian McCaffrey has his fourth fumble of the season in the Super Bowl I mean man Missed opportunity.
2: I love people keep bringing up please stop showing the mic'd up videos on inside the NFL or whatever because you have George Kittle quitting on the play, making jokes at George Karlaftis yeah, about man. both of them being George, and then Karlaftis is the one who sees the fumble and jumps on it.
1: I, I, it's, this is going to be a recurring theme with this show, and I'm going to talk about this. Our Niners just cursed because this feels like they're a cursed franchise. It feels like they're, they're, they, they cannot get over the hump, but until— until I otherwise see it, they feel like they're cursed. I mean, how many times can this happen?
2: Let's put a pin in that until we get to the fourth quarter, because I think yes. th- there's an interesting conversation to have at the end of the game about them being cursed. Yes. But in the first half, you're spot on about offense is executing the way they want it to. The trick play goes for a touchdown, because yes. Kansas City, after the after the fumble they had, Kansas City's defense kind of stepped up. Yeah. They absolutely stepped up there. And so what's so interesting is that Kansas City... When Kansas City gets the ball right before the half and they get the field goal that makes it 10-3, to mm-hmm. they're coming out of the half with the ball and you're thinking the strategy of like, oh, okay, Kansas you know Kansas City did the thing that Shanahan was trying so hard to do in the Packers Here comes game. the lap! Yeah, yeah, exactly. You get double possession, you can make up all the points. I know you're down 10-0 and the trick plays are working, but you can get it back. And what Kansas City does to start the second half is interception by Patrick Mahomes his first of the entire playoffs yep strangely doesn't turn into any points okay the Niners punt after the interception which you know we'll get we'll get to the offense in a sec and then on the next drive Kansas City gets the ball inside their own 10 burn a timeout on third down and one with 12 minutes to go in the third quarter and then they don't pick up the third down. They have to burn a timeout to not convert a third and one. Yeah. Like, it's going perfect to start the second half for San Francisco's defense. It is. Even despite the fact that Dre Greenlaw snaps his Achilles while go- running back onto the field in the first half.
1: Yeah, and we'll get to the injuries in the, se- in, in the second segment here. But l- like you said, m- missed opportunities, not making advantage. I mean, there was a stat, and I, I believe I have this one right, after the first quarter. Can you guess what the yards for each team was after the first quarter?
2: I think Kansas City's was somewhere at like 17 or something like that, but I don't remember what the Niners had.
1: The 49ers had 120, 25 yards total yards at the first quarter. The Chiefs had 16. Yeah. 16, and the score was 0-0. Yeah. Right there I got worried because the Niners, this has been a whole thing with the Niners. You have to take advantage of the drives you have, especially with this Chiefs team. And I said this. In the pre-pre-show, before he even went to to Vegas, if you allow Mahomes and the Chiefs to stay in this game for too long, they will find a way and they will burn you. And guess what? They found a way and they burned you. And that's the reality is that the Niners were right there. Right there. And they just couldn't do enough to get over the hump.
2: Especially because as soon as that happened, as soon as that happened, kyle shanahan went into default mode and what i mean by that is brock purdy yes who again you know people have had the brock purdy jimmy garoppolo conversation for a while like we don't know how good brock purdy is or isn't i think at this point and that's fair he's in his second year has had all this talent around him we know he's better than jimmy garoppolo because jimmy garoppolo in that system last year was putting up worse numbers than brock purdy at the same time Brock Purdy went 18 minutes of game time and 93 minutes of real-life time without completing a pass. From seven minutes left in the second quarter until four minutes left in the third quarter. 18 minutes without completing a pass. Shanahan could not resist when he got that lead, keeping it away from the quarterback. Just letting his system Hold on to the lead. And the
1: system wasn't working because even me and Jay Johnson, who, who was there uh, who was there at the game, we were watching them. They kept running Debo as a disguise on the on the motion. And every single time they did that, you knew it was coming. Inside left, so McCaffrey. Inside left, so McCaffrey. They were stacking eight in the box for the same reason. Inside left, so McCaffrey. I mean, I'm pretty sure it was it was either Darius Sneed or it was Trent McDuffie that said after the game,
2: we wanted Purry to throw the ball. And they and they did that. In fairness, it wasn't like, oh, we're sitting on the ball to dominate clock. No, he threw like five consecutive incomplete passes to start the second half. And the mm-hmm. only completion they had at the end of the first half was Jawan Jennings' trick play yeah. to Christian McCaffrey. And
1: I'm not even blaming Brock Perry for this game. I think Brock Perry played pretty well in the face of danger. I mean, he was pressured on 50% of his dropbacks.
2: No, that's a Shanahan thing. Going 18 consecutive minutes without completing a pass is... The, the de- is a decision strategically made by your team.
1: And it's a conversation we will have in the third segment with Steve Wilkes of who's actually the scapegoat, who's actually at fault here, because I think there's a lot of blame to go every single way.
2: But it's it's the idea of you win the way that you got there, which is hilarious now because, you know, the Falcons won, they kind of fell apart, execution was poor, all that stuff. But each of the last two Super Bowls, it's been the same game of once we get a 10-point lead, uh, Shan- nobody's better in the league than Shanahan. It's sitting on a 10-point lead, except when you're playing that quarterback
1: because you're playing the best quarterback alive when you know he yeah. can come back from 10 from down 10 in a heartbeat he's I mean, done it
2: every time there, there, there was that stat that uh quarterbacks that are down seven points or more in the fourth quarter all time in the playoffs have a 40 percent success rate yeah. Brady had a 45 percent success rate Drew Brees had a 50 percent success rate Patrick yeah. Mahomes is seven for seven in getting the seven points back yeah seven for seven this th- the system works, except in this exceptional case. And and for the second quarter into the third, it was we're gonna sit on the ball. We're gonna try and throw passes one on one against McDuffie, one on one against Lajarius Sneed, and it's just it's not gonna work. Which no, it didn't work. And I give them credit. Like if they win that game at the end, Jawan Jennings probably wins Super Bowl MVP, yes. and I think that's a testament to Shanahan and the game plan that they had coming in. It's like okay, McDuffie's gonna be one on one with Debo. Le Sneed's gonna be one on one with Ayuk, we'll just kill you one on one with Edwards guarding Jawan and have Jawan execute the trick play pass that they had been setting up all first half. Like yeah. that's a testament to their success. It was just not getting Brock involved when you had a ten point lead was a bit of a mistake. Becoming on their one part.
1: dimensional when you have a ten point lead has been a problem for Shanahan. Absolutely. It has been. It's been a problem for Shanahan this offense and We even said it in the playoffs. We said it going into out out of the regular season. You cannot just give the ball to McCaffrey and get the hell out of the way. You have to make it interesting. You got to give different people. You got to get everyone involved. You got to use misdirection. I mean, they ran one misdirection toss, one halfback toss, and every time they ran something different than the inside left zone, it worked. Because guess what? The Chiefs were expecting you to run the inside left zone because I was expecting you to run the inside left zone. And if I'm expecting it, guess what? Steve Spagnuolo is also expecting it.
2: Which Steve Spagnuolo deserves a lot of credit, especially on the third downs for forcing some of those incompletions on Purdy. The same way that they forced incompletions on Josh Allen. Like, their their blitz packages affected the timing of a lot of these throws. Yeah. Which, when we get to the end of the game, we can talk about the, the third and four with McDuffie blitzing on the edge. Or the third down at the goal line where Jennings had him beat and then, you know... Some offensive linemen have been calling each other out for missing blocks that allowed Chris Jones a free not rush. Not only at the Jennings passer.
1: was not only Jennings was free there, but also Ayuk, who just beat, Sneed clean off the line for the slam. I mean, he was opener than open. Yep, like seven eleven open back there in the end zone.
2: Uh huh. And Jen and and if Purdy has time to set his feet and throw that pass without the greatest clutch defensive lineman of recent NFL playoff history running at him, then. Yeah. You know Jennings is the one catching that touchdown, an even better case for him to win Super Bowl MVP.
1: Now here's the problem: the one play I will discredit Brock for. And we have to go to break here in a second. Was the third and four with about two with almost two minutes left? You have Ayuk in the slant, and he's open. Yeah. Go to Ayuk. I don't know why he didn't go to Ayuk. I don't know if he saw him or not. But but again, McDuffie came off the blitz and forced Brock's hand, and Brock made the wrong read there. Brock made a mistake. He's 24 years old. He'll improve. He's fine. But that was the, the difference maybe in that game. Because if they get that first down, tick, 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 the clock keeps going. It's a first down. The Chiefs probably don't come back. But everything kept lining up, up for them, and that's how that went. And we have to go to break here in a second. Return of the Empire, Milford Goso, Kyle Ledbetter, doing co-hosting and producing duties today. Nate is on a well-deserved day off. We'll be back giving updates on from the game as well as injuries. Thank you for listening. Sacktown Sports. Call-
0: Welcome back to the Return of the Empire podcast.
1: With Emil Fragoso and
0: Nate Littlefield.
1: March continues. The march for the Empire continues. The quest for Super Bowl six, sadly, extend extended 29 years because the Niners did not win Super Bowl 58. They lost the Chiefs instead for a second time in a
2: row. Yay, the Jedis blew up the Death Star. Oh my <laughs> God.
1: Having the cheese for the Jedi's is actually kind of wild to even think about. And yeah, I don't think I, I don't think I agree, but maybe it does for the show. We agree. They were
2: definitely the first time, but yeah, you want to call yourself the Empire? Watch what it, this is. This is this um, is how this
1: works. Yeah, yeah.
2: This is the end of Last Jedi. Basically, this is the end of Episode Three. The second time yeah. blowing up the Niner Death Star. The Niners came back stronger than ever, and Kansas City blew up the Death Star a second time. Yeah, you're right.
1: Um, Mil- Milford goes. So Kyle Ledbetter and Nate Littlefields off for the day. Still recovering from this loss. I kind of am too. I'm sad. I'm. I'm gonna be awesome. Sad about this. Still. This still hurt. It hurt to be a part of. It hurt to watch. <sighs> I really thought for a second there they're gonna do it.
2: Sounds like losers. Oh my, see, this
1: is what happens when you have the Mahomes fandom in here. I don't like Mahomes. Well, I respect Mahomes. I don't like the Chiefs.
2: This. This one yeah. is funny for even me because my entire fan philosophy going into this playoffs was just. Don't let it be Josh Allen that beats us. <laughs> if they had lost to Baltimore, fine. They fine. weren't better than Baltimore in the regular season. Fine. Yeah. If they lost this game, fine. The people I care about around here would be happy. Yeah. Some of my best friends would be happy. Fine. Oh. I've already won two. I didn't think I'd ever get one. Just this this year's the best because it was the worst of the Kansas City team. Remember when the bandwagon left the
1: Chargers to be a, a fan of a team in the same division? Okay, whatever.
2: Well, a fan of not the team itself, the fan of their their beautiful quarterback, who Mr. Kermit. Yeah, over time has evolved greater. How great is it for me? I predicted back in 2019 that this would happen. How oh. cool is that? You I told like, you. You sound like Nick Wright right now. Ugh. Me and Nick Wright. Think how funny that is. Me and Nick Wright picked the lane of. We saw that. This quarterback was going to be great. And now he's great, just like we all saw. It's just we had the, we had the audacity to say, Patrick Mahomes, pretty great at football. We were the ones with the – I've been saying this is the I best like quarterback this. to pick up like a football, this. and he's got the greatest offensive head coach in NFL history. That makes your problems a whole lot easier. Man,
1: that's a statement to say, but man. man it's I mean,
2: between him and Bill Walsh, right? I guess so, and, yeah. And Andy Reid's been doing it a oh, whole lot longer than Bill Walsh was doing it in San Francisco. I've...
1: I, uh, yeah no I, get I won't it. do that on this Niner podcast as, as Jess in the
2: chat just says why is Kyle even here
1: ha 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 respectfully
2: well yeah I mean <laughs> Nate if Nate had won today maybe I would have been the one in uh in recovery maybe, who knows yeah maybe maybe Kyle would be taking the day off instead anyways let's get back to the fourth quarter of this game real quick because yeah, yeah. we were talking about McDuffie and the we we're talking about the pass that Purdy had, went with the wrong read. Great blitz dialed up, all that stuff. They give the ball back to Kansas City instead of being able to sit on the ball until, at the very least, 30 seconds left Kansas City with no timeouts, right? Yeah. So then we get to overtime. Yeah. And uh, do we want to talk about coin toss rules or not? Because I, I think
1: we, I, we think it's an important conversation because Kyle Husek didn't know the overtime rules. Rick sure Armstead
2: other- said he was reading them on the board. Yeah.
1: Yeah. The few of them did not know. Brock knew because he was going over with Greasy. But the rest of them, I don't think they knew it. And they didn't really seem to be very confident after the game.
2: Yep, that seems to be the case. Which is just, man, crazy. Yeah, so my philosophy on this was was this point. And I, I understood people who were saying take the ball second because of college overtime rules. You want to know what you did. It worked out great for Kansas City because they could go for it on that fourth down where they pulled out. Yep. <laughs> From as far as I've seen this year, the first time they ran a read option all season long, which is pretty funny. Uh, They pulled it out in that moment.
1: You just knew it was going to be in in Patrick Mahomes' hands, though. On the third down, the fourth down. You just knew it was going to be in his hands. But
2: not just in Patrick Mahomes' hands with Kelsey blocking for him out in front also, which, you know, you put it in the hands of your two best players. Anyways, I bring this up to say there was literally like people talk about the data and the sample size to pick from and stuff like that. There is literally no data for what to do in this situation. Okay. It's the first time it's ever happened. I get what you're saying. I get it. So in that sense, you can defend the decision to keep the ball or not go or or give it away. Bill Barnwell brought up the point that like analytically he didn't think it was that much of a difference, but here's the thing, no one has any data to go off of. It's the first yeah. time this overtime rule has ever been used. There is literally no data to base it off of. Correct. And a lot of what analytics is based on is Years and years and thousands of data points that have been collected. Yeah. So I understood in that sense Shanahan taking the ball first, but also if you follow the the overtime college rules, everyone wants to take the ball second because you want to know what you you want you want to know what the other person did.
1: It's kind of like blackjack that way. You want to be the dealer, and being the, the the second person up is the dealer, you're the blackjack dealer. You know what hands are gonna be called. You got you got the next step. You know what what's gonna come afterwards. Kyle just Shanahan explained it is that we wanted to be third we wanted the ball third, which I didn't really love the explanation of, like, why would you want it third? You kind of want it second.
2: It doesn't make sense because his his initial explanation post-game, and he kind of modified it by Monday, but his initial explanation was, we wanted the ball third, or we wanted the ball when the game became sudden death third. But that's that's not true. The game becomes sudden death on the second possession. Correct. You can match the score of the other person to extend the game, but it is sudden death. Like, you can lose the game right there. My my theory was that if you get the
1: ball first, you're not in four down territory. You're in three yeah. down territory. If you get the ball second, and and especially if the the first team scored, you're in four down territory regardless. Yeah. You're in do or die mode, which I think is better for a team trying to win a game to be in do or die mode than prevent mode, which again come back to Shanahan being a little too passive in situations situation he's been more aggressive in.
2: And what changes the 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 game theory a little bit is Kansas City was essentially playing that final drive with four downs on every possession. Including and, a fourth and one where Patrick Mahomes took the read option and got eight yards out of it. Exactly. And by the way, something that's kind of funny, if you look at the the two drives in overtime, I believe both were 12 plays. Both started at the 25-yard line. So if the Niners had scored on that last Jennings play, it would have been 75 yards. Mm-hmm. And both of them were basically seven and a half minutes. Because the the, the the winning touchdown came with three seconds left in the game. Yep. Both teams essentially had the exact same drive in overtime, ate up the same amount of clock time, yep. et cetera. The only difference is on third and eight, Chris Jones went unblocked up the middle and disrupted the Brock Purdy pass. And on uh, first down and goal, I'm sorry, on uh, the play right before that they went to Kelsey that set up first and goal, yep. Um San Francisco wasn't able to force them into a fourth down situation. And they once not. they got first and goal at the three, I mean, it was game over. Which,
1: again, Travis Kelsey was hit a good four yards behind the, the line to gain. And somehow muscled his way through all that and got the first down. I still know how he did it because I, I'm he caught the ball four yards behind the line to gain and got through like three defenders to do it.
2: Yeah. I couldn't believe it. So that's kind of the difference in the game. They essentially, both teams ran the same drive in overtime, which I give Kansas City so much. And someone who's been following this team, I think it's interesting. And I don't have time to detail the whole point. This is more for a full podcast that I did. But like yeah. Kansas City essentially in two years went from an explosive high-powered offense to a precision-based offense and then out San Francisco'd San Francisco yeah. at the end of the game. Which I think is incredibly impressive in and of its own, right? To be able to win Super Bowls and pivot like that to yeah. to completely reinvent yourself is amazing, but
1: when they traded Tyreek Hill, everyone was up in arms, including myself. You're trading the best receiver in the NFL. What are you doing? You don't trade guys like this. Kelsey's the older tight end. You gotta have a receiver in Mahomes. And for a second they're this season. It seemed like we were right. But then again, it comes down to who who the hell is your quarterback? And if it's Patrick Mahomes, you can figure it out.
2: And I don't want to – that's the thing that I brought up the whole time, which is, yes, they're going to have problems. But your problems get infinitely easier when you have the best quarterback to ever pick up a football and the best offensive head coach in the history of the sport. That makes all your problems a little bit easier. But the thing that's interesting about the tree kill trade itself is – they essentially only got back one piece in the trade because they traded some picks. Uh, they used the second-round pick on Sky Moore, which is like, you know...
1: That wasn't... was a mistake. Yeah, he, a d- mistake. he
2: didn't play because he was hurt, but he's still, a, you know, he hasn't given them as much as they'd like. The only piece that turned into something was the first-round pick, yep. pick 21, that became Trent McDuffie. McDuffie
1: yep, Trent McDuffie's and a And Trent McDuffie... Had Ayuk had in lockstep all yep. night.
2: Which is absolutely incredible. Yeah, and... and They also got Leo Chanel out of that, which, honestly, he's like their fourth middle linebacker. But if you look at the pro football focus grades, I think he had the highest pro football focus grade on the Kansas City defense. Again,
1: Brett Veach, the the general manager, did a hell of a job with that trade. Did a hell of a job drafting. All props to them. It's just the Niners had this. The Niners had this game. They should have won this game, and they didn't. And that's what the hard part is to think about right now. The Drake Green line injury was absolutely brutal. Changed a lot of the things that were going on for that game.
2: Yeah, I saw that mic'd up, and Fred Warner was genuinely shaken by oh, I, that injury. We all were
1: shaken by it, dude. We were—we sh- didn't know what. We- as soon as <laughs> I saw the replay on on, on social media, because I'm far away from the stadium, I didn't see him. I didn't see him go down initially. I just saw him on the ground. I said, "Oh, that's the Achilles! Damn!" That I was like, "Damn, man!" Because because again, he went into week 18 of the regular season with Achilles tendinitis. Went into the Green Bay game with Achilles tendinitis. And we thought, okay, it's just a whatever injury—a a, a a nick, a scratch. Again. People get, you know, banged up all the time, right? All the time, football. It's just whatever. Turned out, it was a real injury because Drake Greenlaw tore his Achilles or ruptured his Achilles, I should say.
2: I didn't want to say in the moment, like I'm watching, I'm like, I don't want to say he tore his Achilles, but that was kind of pretty clear. I saw the pop. What I saw, happened? I the
1: saw moment. the people, because they, they, they first thought it was an ankle injury,
2: and I was like, no,
1: nope, that's that's an Achilles. I can just kind of tell. You can kind of tell when Achilles injuries is, especially when it's non, non-contact like that.
2: Yeah, I totally get that. And... uh um, Our friend Simone, basically, we were watching the game together, and she pointed out the fact that, like, oh, they're bringing the card out. That's probably going to be the end for him. And I was like, oh, that's a pretty good point. Yeah, if they're bringing the card out that quickly, they kind of know what the deal is there. The only person who didn't really have much of a reaction was Shanahan. Shanahan was, like, the mic'd up that they showed was like, did Dre just get hurt running onto the field was basically his reaction to it. It wasn't like, oh, my gosh, I'm devastated by this, which you kind of have to be. It
1: was like did that really just happen? Did that really just happen to my team right now? Did that, like, he got hurt not playing football? Yeah. And, it, again, it goes back to what I said earlier. I I was just cursed. Because that's a cursed injury to happen right there. So that's now, a
2: cursed thing. Now we can bring that back into the focus now that we've talked about the game. Because the blocked extra point yep. after Moody made every extra point he attempted all season, that blocked extra point plus taking the ball first in overtime – Plus, I guess you could say the the McDuffie play, which forced them into prevent defense, because basically once it was one fifty one and a three point lead with two timeouts, they just let Kansas City walk down the field. Basically, oh yeah, and I, I honestly wasn't the worst strategy in the world because they they were able to no, only was. give them one shot at the end zone at the end. But I am
1: gonna be honest, dude, I wasn't level what was being what was being called with Steve Wilkes. And we'll get to Steve Wilkes in the third segment of that prevent defense that was being called because it didn't yeah. make any sense. Um, but again. If you get Patrick Mahomes anything over a minute, I feel pretty confident he's going to figure out a way to drive down that field. Yeah. Just, and that, that, that's the Brady effect.
2: So what's interesting about that from the San Francisco curse standpoint is like, yeah, you're playing against the great, the greats of all time. And I guess if you want to go back to the 2012 Super Bowl against the Ravens, they weren't really playing against the greats of all time except for – I guess some of the players on that defense, but...
1: And Joe elite quarterback that is Joe Flacco?
2: Yeah, exactly. So it wasn't kind of the same there. But the last two years, or I mean the last two Super Bowls, I think you can kind of chalk those up to just small in-game decisions from the coach. Because we've walked out of both of these Super Bowls pointing the finger at Shanahan.
1: To a degree, Yes,
2: yes. And I think those are things that, as Shanahan will go on throughout his career, he will learn from and adapt from. I mean, we we saw it with Andy Reid, we saw it with uh, Mike Tomlin as he got into the the Le'Veon Bell, um, Antonio Brown, Ben Roethlisberger, Killer Bees years. Like he got so much oh, better yeah. at managing the clock on offense, where like offense was kind of holding the team back in some of those years that they got to the Super Bowl. So uh-huh. like, I think with time there will be a learning curve in that, and I think. That doesn't. That also doesn't help the 49ers very much in the short term. Just doesn't help them.
1: My philosophy on the Niners being cursed in the playoffs, not even the Super Bowl in the playoffs.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Look at what happened last year. his championship game. Brock Purdy tears his UCL in the first series of the game. That's a curse thing, dude. That that that's just bad karma, bad juju. Drake Greenlaw tearing his Achilles on a non-contact. Bad juju. Muff punt off some guy's foot off Drell Lewter's foot. Bad juju. Blocked extra point when he hasn't missed one all year bad juju
2: yeah a, i understand there's a black cat running around this franchise like Steve a says you know as someone who doesn't really you know point to the juju or bad karma aspects of sports in that way my initial instinct is to say these are the little moments in every football game that decide you know the when games are so tightly yeah. contested it is those weird flip plays that make a difference i know Saints fans will complain that they're cursed because of the non-call pass interference at the uh, end or yeah 2 years ago Jaquaski Tart dropping the interception that would have taken them to the Super Bowl yep. you know you, Th- thank you for mentioning that rockin thank
1: you. I knew there was some one more of this yeah, in there yeah rockin
2: was in there with the, the Jaquaski Tart drop like you could point to that and say those are the little moments within football games that end up deciding some of these games or you can point to it and feel cursed because the Niners consistently come out on the wrong side of these results yes cuz like Getting down against Detroit and Green Bay were surprising, but both of those games at the end you could point to and then basically be like, the Niners said, we are better than this team, therefore let's play like we are more talented and better than this team. Mm-hmm. That wasn't necessarily the case against Kansas City, despite the fact that they were the better and more talented team than Kansas City, and for the most part played as good of a game as Kansas City.
1: Went toe-to-toe with
2: them. Again, they held them to 19
1: points going into the last drive in the o- in the OT. They held them to 19 points. Yeah. Like you, got, you got you got to give him credit, right? You got to give. I mean, if, again, if you went into Super Fifty Eight and you gave like a, a look ahead and said, "Hey, the Niners defense will hold Patrick Mahomes to nineteen points," you feel pretty good about the Niners' chances of winning of, of winning that game, wouldn't you?
2: If you give me that detail and say, Juwan Jennings is going to throw a touchdown pass to Christian McCaffrey," sure. If you give me both of those details... Because Kansas City won these playoff games by basically scoring the same number of points. I won't put it out there like, oh, that's so impossible. No, this was a really good defense for Kansas City. But that doesn't necessarily mean the Niners weren't in a great position to win. Hence why... They had the lead in overtime yeah, of the Super Bowl. Just, and just
1: like the chat saying, you know, going back to Kyle Williams, Muff Pump versus Giants, Tarp, you know, obviously intercepting against the Rams. It's just the little things that swing the game, like Kyle was talking about too. It's the little things in the big games that matter the most, and that's what the difference here in this game. 25-22, Chiefs winning the Super Bowl, Niners losing another one. Yep. And and that that's the reality. We got to go to break?
2: Yeah, we got to go to break. One last thing to mention. Uh, we found out Eric Rick Armstead tore his meniscus back in yeah, December 3rd, played through it. Uh, yeah, I don't know what his future holds with the 49ers, whether they'll bring him back or not, but we can talk about that on another episode, too. We'll
1: discuss that after the break, actually. We're going to go into the injuries and look at look at Steve Wilkes as well. But here, Emil Fergoso, Kyle Ledbetter, back in this moment.
0: Welcome back to the Return of the Empire podcast. With Emil Fergoso and Nate Littlefield. Seven seconds, six. They are going to snap it. Mahomes going to roll to his right. Throws, touchdown. The Chiefs have won the Super Bowl Nicole Hardman as they roll Mahomes ride, Nicole Hardman is wide open and the Chiefs win the Super Bowl, back to back years another heartbreaking loss for Kyle Shanahan why are you the way
2: you are? Uh, the, we can go back to my Joker origin story of uh, being forced to watch the Chargers play football for 10 years.
1: Let me get some, I didn't even ask him to do that. Uh, he just said, I have a highlight for you. And I said, wait, a highlight? Wait a second. And yeah. then that just played. And the was, last
2: play of the Super Bowl.
1: That's not a highlight.
2: Depends, for, th- for
1: this show, it's not a highlight. Depends
2: on your perspective. It was the most important play of the game, was it not? Yeah. Uh... The, the uh, second ever walk right, off touchdown. All
1: right, all right, all right. Anyway, return to the empire. Milford goes. So Kyle, I better Nate Littlefield's off, so recovering from Super Bowl. I think the games.
2: whimsical music makes the score better too. Just the whimsical music playing behind it as the Niners lose in the most heartbreaking fashion a Super Bowl could end in. It's just, it's wonderful. He's just getting his licks out of this, man. I, I... at least I didn't play the swag surfing song today. Thank you for not playing the swag surf. It's the Thank last show. So I didn't. Much I didn't want to instigate that. that much violence. Yeah, because I think
1: I take off my headphones and walk out. With the, uh, I
2: think. Nate would have thrown that chair through the glass window. Yeah, Nate, if that Nate, had Nate wouldn't have
1: even put up with the highlight you just played. He would have walked out for sure.
2: Yeah, I know, but you're you're. You're a Tormented Raider fan. You're at least chill about it.
1: See, I'm used to to losing games as a Tormented Raider fan. And you were, too, as a Tormented Chargers fan, but then you gave that up and went to the Chiefs. I'm a
2: seven-year recovering Charger fan, and I am a happier, healthier, more well-balanced human being as a result (laughs) of that decision. I would recommend it. Anyone who roots for bad teams, get off that narcotic. You're going to be a whole lot happier. Just saying. Oh,
1: my God. This is great. Okay, anyway. Last segment, unfortunately, I know. The final countdown is on... Uh, for the for return of the Empire Live, um, yeah, rock and I I I did grow up a Raider fan. Again, it's hard to quit that team. I I, I don't like them. It's, as they moved to Vegas, I really don't take too much of it in. But it's hard to quit the team you grew up liking. So anyway, uh, this is a Niners show. It's a Niners sport, and you know what I have to talk about Steve Wilkes. Let's do it. Swan song to Steve Wilkes because Tuesday when the Niners gave their bu- goodbye pressers, Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch said they expected most of their coaches to be back. Yes, they would deliberate on some stuff. But they expected most coaches to be back, and that was a direct answer to answering: Is Steve Wilkes coming back? We expect most of our coaches to come back. Well, a day later, and here's how this went down. I am at the True Sports Sports Cards and Collectibles store in Rockland, California. Shout out them, by the way. Nice plug. I know, right? Um, I'm 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 there saying hi to my, hi to the client, just talking to some people, talking about the game, my experience at, at Super Bowl 58, and then I see a, a tweet a, a tweet. Kyle Shanahan's calling an emergency press conference call in five minutes. And then I look at the schedule. Oh, there's an emergency conference call in five minutes. They give us a 5 minutes heads up. And as soon as I saw that, I said, oh, no, something's about to go down. And sure enough, it was Steve Wilkes has been relieved of his duties. Kyle Shanahan announced that Wednesday midday, Steve Wilkes, after one season, is no longer the defensive coordinator of the 49ers. And let me be honest. It was shocking. Early in the day, I said I'd be surprised if he was let go because of what Kyle said the day previous and because it was year one going into year two. But after doing some reflecting, thinking about it, it made a whole lot of sense. It really did. There were signs throughout the season that Steve Wilkes' tenure with the Niners would be short. Steve Wilkes is using this job as a springboard. And as Tim Kawakami of The Athletic said with his Niners corner position especially, this job, there are so many expectations layered into it. But one where if you succeed, you're supposed to and you can probably get a higher position at the next convenient moment. But if you fail, it's all on you. And unfortunately, Steve Wilkes found out about the latter, and it was all on him. And some people are calling him the scapegoat. So, Kyle, let me ask you, is Steve Wilkes a scapegoat?
2: He doesn't need to be a scapegoat, because the only reason a coach would scapegoat in that sense is to protect their own head in the same way that Sean McDermott kind of scapegoated Ken Dorsey on the way out the door, despite the fact that Buffalo had a top-five defense that year. Mm Mm-hmm are this last year. So I don't think Kyle Shanahan's in a position where he needs a scapegoat. Like they could have brought back Steve Wilkes next year. And I don't think a lot of people would have complained. I think this is more the vibes in the building more than it is anything else.
1: And that's where I laid out too, was I, I wrote a couple things this week about Steve Wilkes around me yesterday. One about who the next candidates are going to be, which we'll get to in a second. And two, the three signs that Steve Wilkes' tenure with the Niners was coming to a close early. And they kind of came all at once, it felt like, especially the first two, because the first one came week seven and the zero blitz blunder, when Steve was called a zero blitz before the half that allowed a Jordan Addison 60-something yard touchdown. And then Kyle publicly undermined his coordinator, and then Steve had to give it a public apology. There was all that thing. Then, a week later, when Joe Burrow and the Bengals torched him for 400 net yards, Steve Oaks had to come down from the booth after the bye week, and Steve didn't want to do that. Steve wanted to coach from the booth. Kyle wanted his guy to, to be on the ground. The players... Wanted their coach, the coordinator, to be on the ground. And then the kicker, or the final straw, I should say, the run defense. The Niners went from being number one and number two in the NFL in consecutive seasons, at run defense, to number, drum roll please, 26th in the NFL. That's pretty bad. That's downright unacceptable. And there's a reason why Steve Wilkes was let go. Because of that, because of just like it says in in, in the chat rocking at week three, you can sense the defense and Wilkes had a disconnect. You could sense a disconnect early on. You could. You thought they would work past it, but they couldn't. There are a bajillion quotes that came out from this. And one that I'm I'm going to read from week seven when the zero blitz blunder happened. From this is from Steve Wilkes. This defense is a unique defense and there are certain things that go with that particular defense. I'm learning that that's certain things that you, there's certain things that you can't sway away from. So again, that's why I'm not panicking. I know we have the personnel. I know we have the talent. I just got to do a better job putting them in a position. Not a lot of confidence from your coordinator at week seven, I should say that things are going smoothly. So yes, that's, that's where this lies is that Steve Wilkes and this is where I stand on this, is that Steve Oaks was not the scapegoat. There were obvious signs, including when Kyle Shanahan called a timeout to get out of a cover zero blitz because Steve Oaks was calling prevent defense against Patrick Mahomes for some reason. There was a sign, there was a problem, and now there was an admission that this is the wrong hire by Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch in the first place. And that's where this lies.
2: I think all of that is very fair to make the assessment on. That's why they ended up Moving on, because they assess, even though they don't have a ton of candidates out on the board, most of the defensive coordinator positions have been filled. I don't believe Steve Wilkes is going to find another defensive coordinator job this coming cycle because most of the positions have been filled. Maybe not in the NFL. Maybe he goes back to college for a second. Maybe he becomes a position coach. Again, an
1: excellent secondary coach. Did a great job with Various Warren, and Lenore this year.
2: And I bring that up to say, despite that fact, they still felt like they needed to make some sort of change at the defensive coordinator position, which I think is, like you said, it's it's an admission of making the wrong mistake. And I think after one year, the vibes just weren't right there. I mean, I haven't seen too many players come aggressively to the defense of Steve Wilkes at the end of this firing. And if his greatest crime is that he wasn't D'Amico Ryan's, or, you know, if some, peop- some players have stuck around long enough, if he isn't Robert Sala, mm-hmm. it's a high bar to hit as a defensive coach. And I understand... If he came up short of that, because expecting anyone to be that is is almost impossible. And Steve knew the task he
1: was undertaking when he took the job a year ago. He knew the challenges. He knew the expectations. He knew what it was. But he also knew that the rewards would be a Super Bowl ring.
2: But in Steve Wilkes' defense, I could also stand there in that exit press or that exit meeting with coach and general manager and say, Here's why I deserve a second year at this job. Oh, and yeah. have evidence that he could present. I think it was just kind of a uh, uh you-can-defend-the-decision-either-way type of move. I was surprised when they did make the move just because I didn't think they wanted to start over from scratch on that defense. And and maybe the simplest answer is that they promote Chris Kasarik and try the, you know, promote internally type of situation. But I was a bit surprised that after that Super Bowl where they were that close to winning, they decided to... Just starting, start from scratch essentially on the defense with no. I mean, maybe they plan to hire internally, but with no real plan to replace Wilkes, them just saying we are better off without him as defensive coordinator next year.
1: I have one more quote to give you before I go on to what you said because I do have a lot of thoughts as well who the next guy is going to be. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's going to be internal; I think it'll be external. We'll get to that in a second. Final quote, and this was on from Tuesday on locker room cleanout day from Nick Bosa. The zone read got us a couple times. We could have been more prepared there. We have to know in cru- crucial situations who is going to have the ball, and obviously it's Mahomes. That is the most damning quote that you do not have any confidence here at defensive coordinator, and, we, and when you say, we should have been more prepared there. We should have been more prepared. Not I. We should have been more prepared there. Nick Bosa, the defensive line, and even the linebackers, stop believing in Steve Wilkes' game planning to the point where prior to week eight, prior to the bye week, they were leaning on defensive line coach Chris Kasarik for the play calling because Steve was up in the box. The communication was not there. It wasn't right. It's why he had to come down from the booth to the damn field because they weren't seeing the eyes correctly. They weren't seeing what Steve was wanting from them. They were leaning on Kacarek. And when you're leaning on another coach to relay the signals from the actual coordinator, recipe for disaster. Recipe for disaster. And that's where they stand right now is that the Niners need to figure out who that next guy is going to be. And they damn sure better hit it because otherwise Kyle Shanahan probably on the hot seat.
2: I'm not going to go that far. However, the narrative will start to grow that Kyle doesn't understand defense. Cause that's the other thing that is part of it too, is Kyle likes running defense as a specific way. Wilks kind of jibed against that. Yep. Shanahan wasn't willing to relinquish control to Wilks, especially cause again, the vibes weren't really right in the locker room from what I can understand. Yep. So Let's talk about real quick some of these people that they can hire with our last few minutes because some of those people you're going to have to relinquish some control. And I saw a bunch of 49ers fans on Twitter were talking about they want to go after Belichick and I was just a bit surprised because I didn't think that they love Steve Belichick like that, you know? (laughs) Stop it. You know, Steve is, you know, he's been a defensive play caller before. I just, I was surprised that people were so involved in the Steve Belichick game.
1: We're talking about the white whale, the big fish, the big kahuna, if you will. Okay, Bill Belichick, Mr. Super Bowl, well, Mr. greatest coach of all time, Aww. Bill Belichick.
2: You guys are so, This is where this is where I understand the people who are making fun of Niner fans for for dipping their toe in that delusional Cowboy fan waters cuz you think that Nantucket's own Bill Belichick <laughs> who has won 6 Super Bowls wouldn't take the Falcon head coaching job because he couldn't have enough control over that organization. You're telling me that Bill Belichick is going to uproot his life to go to Northern California to be a defensive coordinator with a coach that he already doesn't like because he was forced to make the trade of Jimmy Garoppolo to him in the first place. You're telling me that's a thing that could ever possibly happen. I am. Delusional 49er fans up in arms. That is never, ever, not in 20 years going to happen. May I speak? Yes. Okay.
1: First of all, the Atlanta Falcons didn't want Bill Belichick. Not the other way around.
2: They were interested in Belichick. Arthur Blank
1: wanted Bill Belichick. The general manager, Terry Fontenau, and I forget McKay's first name. Rich, yeah. Thank you, Rich McKay. They didn't want Belichick because if they knew he came in, he's cleaning house. Yes. They chose Raheem Morris because they knew it would buy them time. This is the problem sometimes when you have front office executives who are on borrowed time
2: which it depends on who has the power. Because if you remember, when Kansas City had a head coaching opening, Andy Reid went to interview there, but he didn't like Scott Pioli. So you know what Kansas City did? They fired Scott Pioli and gave Andy Reid the power. So it just depends on what you want to do organizationally. Again, again, yes,
1: there's one organization that wouldn't even give him the power, and it's probably the Niners with Bill Belichick. They wouldn't give him any power. They would let Kyle still be the guy, and frankly, if he's Bill Belichick, you're winning, you could win another Super Bowl by just being the defensive coordinator, with the most talent you've ever had on defense.
2: But you're not considering Bill's feelings in this at all. No, I understand
1: what you're. I understand yeah. what you're saying. Again, it's what. What does Bill want to do? What does does Bill want to take a year off? He can take a year off, or does he want to win a Super Bowl ring because this is his. The the team ready made at year what seventy two years old. If he wants to win a Super Bowl ring and just be a coach and just get back to the fundamentals, get back to the roots. This is an option. Now, do I think it's going to happen? I give it less likability than I would for the next person I'm about to say, which is Mike Rabel.
2: That's the interesting one. Yes. So let's talk about Mike Rabel for a second because he is a coach of the year. We thought he would have his pick of the litter of whichever job he wanted in this year's cycle. None of them really came after him. Diana Rossini had that weird report that like people were intimidated by his presence in interviews and stuff like that. That's called loser mentality. Yeah, so – What do we think about Vrabel? I mean, he would obviously be a slam dunk hire as a defensive coordinator, but that comes back to Shanahan's going to probably have to relinquish some level of control.
1: Maybe this the defense. I mean, Kyle would take the offense, and Vrabel, you take the defense. I don't think Kyle trusted Steve Wilks. I think that was a problem. That was the reason why there was a disconnect. They didn't trust him. They didn't trust his play calling. They trust Vrabel. They'll trust Vrabel's play calling,
2: but him and Salah were in lockstep for years when they were together, and he was okay releasing that, relinquishing that control because they shared a vision on defense. And I think D'Amico, to some extent, had that same Correct. idea. But yes. the players just loved D'Amico so much that oh, dude, you know he could sense the vibe there. But with Vrabel. They have no history of working together. They have no history of a prior relationship. Where is that trust going to come from? Do you trust his reputation as a defensive play caller to relinquish that's that control? That's where it comes
1: from. It comes from being a former linebacker. It comes from being a, a leader of men. It comes from bringing success to another franchise. That's, yeah. that's where this comes from. And if you're Kyle Shanahan, if you're John Lynch, if you're Jetty Ork, you need the best available person for this job. And that is Mike freaking Vrabel, who is 48 years old, the energy guy on the field, who's going to bring it every single time? The passion, going to, going to teach people from the front to the back, going to connect the, the the secondary to the defensive line, going to bring everybody together. That is Mike freaking Vrabel. And if you have a chance to hire Mike Vrabel, you do it and you give some responsibility. Kyle, whether you like it or not, he should do it, not you, Kyle. Kyle yes. Shanahan.
2: It requires a certain level of self awareness that you know. Time will tell if Kyle Shanahan and, has that. And I think that's what this this firing of Wilkes
1: signals is that Kyle is coming under some self awareness of. We need to change something, and it has to happen right now or it's never happening.
2: Or that this guy wasn't really it. And I know some people are saying, like, in one year, Robert Sala will have a nine-year-he-can-have-the-job-for-as-long-as-he-wants type of thing. And I don't think that's the the answer for San Francisco. Let's see if we can hit a a higher right here, which I think Chris Kassarek might not be the worst idea in the world either.
1: Here's why Chris Kassarek will not be it. He doesn't want it. Chris Kassarek does not want the job. Okay. Same with Johnny Holland. Doesn't want the job. Unfortunately, when it comes to D-line coaches, they are really good at their specific group and only want to coach their, their specific group. Because of that, they don't want to make that jump to the, to do all of it. They're okay in their role. And I'm not saying that as like a de- demonstrative thing or anything like that. Chris Casarro is one of the best defensive line coaches in the NFL. He wants to keep being one of the best defensive line coaches in the NFL, whether that's here or elsewhere with D'Amico or elsewhere somewhere else in the NFL. That's what his calling is. And, he, and they've talked about this. He doesn't want to do it. If there was going to be an internal hire, my money is on Daniel Bullock's. Uh, they're, they're, they're one of their secondary coaches. They've been there for seven years now. Um, it would be Daniel Bullock's. But I don't think it'll be that. I think it'll be an external hire of the likes of Rabel, Belichick, maybe even Pete Carroll. I don't know. I think it is going to be a big, splashy name. So,
2: though. uh... I, um... Former head coach of notable success that would only take the job because of the 49ers' reputation.
1: Correct, and because of what it could lead to of a head coaching job next season.
2: Good luck with that. This is the springboard. That's all I'll say is good luck with that. I
1: understand what you're saying, but they have to hit a freaking home run out of the park with this hire. They have to. They have to ease the minds of the Niners faithful. They have to get the right person, yes, but they have to get the best person. And in my book, that's Belichick or it's Frable.
2: Well, yeah, it's no question. Those are two very, very good and coaches. And they got to make
1: it work. And Kyle, if that means putting your ego aside, you do it to win the Super Bowl. Because this is multiple occasions now where you have fallen short in the big game. Not just on one franchise as as a coordinator, but as the freaking head coach twice against this Chiefs team. Something's got to change, and you know that. Anyway, I'm hot. I'm emotional. I'm So Kyle Ledbetter. We will be back in a month or so with some podcast versions of the show thank you to every single person that has listened to return of the empire thank you listening on the airways. thank you listening in the youtube watching us on the youtube and however you listen afterwards on the podcast as well we appreciate you guys thank you for a wonderful 2023 nfl season covering the Niners. we'll be back next season with even more niners content kyle any last thoughts
2: I have had so much fun being a part of this show this year. I'm glad that we got to have our hour to do Niners coverage. And thank you, Emil, and thank you to Nate for putting together wonderful and wacky podcasts every single week. This has truly been a very, very enjoyable season.
1: Exactly. I completely agree. Thank you all for the ride. We'll be back next year better than ever. Until then, stay safe out there, Sacramento. We love y'all. Good night.